just the general tone of this conversation. I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. All right, welcome back, everyone. Art of Hospitality podcast, new voice, or probably not a new voice, but a new voice in this position. Switching it up a little bit today, and over the last couple of months, we've had the opportunity to have uh, a few authors on, and, and Conrad dubbed it our literary series. We have another author on, and we actually have another one scheduled within the next couple of weeks. But today, we go to a familiar voice, right? And that voice is Conrad. Conrad released his book, and we thought it was perfect to take today and really focus in on Conrad and, and everything that he's got going and really open up the door some more on some marketing and really let Conrad dig deep here and, and tell a little bit about the book and dig in. So before we do that, before we go to Conrad, Adam, why don't you step in? How's things going? We, we got to get a sports update. Yeah. So we recorded yesterday. So I actually don't have much of a sports update, but I do have one and I'll tie it back to Conrad. So tonight I have the uh, opportunity to go see the local high school team. They are one game away from qualifying for the championship game for, I think they're 3A. So 3A North Carolina state champ game uh, should be held in Greensboro this Saturday. So if they win tonight, then, and it's home, right? So we're a fifth round already. They've already had four, four wins up to this point. And similar to a poor memory that I'm going to bring up for Conrad, Similar to the Patriots, when they went undefeated all the way into the Super Bowl, the high school team needs to go undefeated. They're, uh, I think they're at 22-0-1 right now. So the only way they're going to become state championships, state champions, is if they are able to complete their undefeated season. So very excited to go see that tonight uh, and cheer them on. And the tie-in back to Conrad is it's really nice to watch people play at a high level, right? So going and watching, and I'm encouraging obviously my team to, to go and, and watch, but it's really nice to watch people play at a very high level. When you see anybody who's undefeated at whatever they're doing, clearly they've figured out something. So it's really nice to go out and, and see somebody play at a high level. And I think that's the correlation back to today's discussion is that when you get into Conrad's book, this is vacation rental marketing at a high level. Now we're going to break it down as foundational and some steps that you can take on your side, but this is what we all need to focus on when we think about marketing at a high level. As we go forward, we're a lot of variables and changes that we've talked about. This is where we need to focus. We need to focus on our marketing and we need to double down like it's 2008 all over again. We got really lazy during COVID times and now it's time to, to take a step back, pick up Conrad's book and go out and focus on marketing. Yeah. So Conrad, welcome back to the podcast. We Great to have great you. to be here. <laughs> so Conrad, why don't you lay the foundation a little bit on, on the thought process and really why you wanted to get this out and, and the value that you want to push into the industry? I've always actually enjoyed writing. I never It never bothered me. I remember even during college and things like that, you have to do this paper and all that kind of stuff. I always thought it was a great opportunity to sit down and distill thoughts. I, in the verbal form, I feel like I've gotten better at it doing podcasts now for the last little bit. But until I started doing the podcast, I feel like I couldn't always explain my positions very well or very clearly. And I always thought writing was that outlet, but I just never thought that it would be something where I'd sit down and write an entire book until I saw other people do it. So the one that really I saw up close and personal doing some of the marketing promotion for it was Brooks' first one, not the second one he's come up with, but the first one that he did zero to 500 and just watching him put that together and then realize that he can use that book as a foundational like marketing messaging piece so he can keep referencing back in my book. I talk about XYZ and I think him going through that process was instructive for me to be like, everything that we do is I think explainable in a foundational manner. 
where it all goes back to basics. It all goes back to fundamentals. To do the sports analogy, Adam, it's like you either hit the three-pointer or you don't. You're running this system or you aren't. I feel like a lot of times it's what we see high level is just doing the basics really well consistently for a long period of time. Like I think that's what a lot of high-level companies actually are is just doing that sort of pieces. So going back to the marketing kind of thing, I thought it'd be fun. I enjoyed doing it. It took a long time. It took like almost nine months. Could have made a baby or wrote a book. And I guess we chose to write the write the book. But it, it took a long time. And I did have like an assistant kind of working with me a little bit on the ghostwriting and editing and refining of this. But it was every Monday for some time, eight straight months to really get it to a spot where I felt comfortable releasing it. And I actually don't even know if I'm completely happy with it, but I wanted to get it out there and like let people check it out and see what they had to say as well. So, so Conrad, what was your major in college? You mentioned that you like writing. Oh, it was actually marketing, believe it or not, which is funny to think about because I had all these marketing classes in college, Coastal Carolina, a university, go Chance. And it, as I look back on it, though, there's very few lessons I feel like I can distill from like my marketing classes that have carried with me today. Like we learned, like at one point we had this whole class on like Pantone color sets for like billboard advertising. And I was like, this is useless information. Like I can't imagine this is going to be useful. So I graduated in 2013 and I feel like there was a time period where it was like the, maybe the college awkwardly transitioning from like offline traditional marketing advertising media to newer forms of marketing advertising and media, which like when I graduated, they were like encouraging me to go into a master's program. And there was a class on social media marketing. And that was like a new thing that would have been in 2014. Obviously social media had been out for some time at that point, but it was like this new idea to the an educational institution that they would teach about social media marketing. It wouldn't be like this kind of awkward side thing. And now of course we have a whole section of the book or a whole vertical focus of the book about social media. So the media changes. So if I go back and think back to the college career, what I might've learned, it's that as I think today on it, it's like the media changed. A lot of the messaging, a lot of the basics that I learned there I think I can carry with me, but I'm not like the biggest proponent of college. I don't. I, I can't think of a lot of practical knowledge that I've taken from it. I think you learn more by doing, at least maybe I learn a lot more by doing. So the best thing I did during college was not going and getting the marketing degree. It was actually, this used to be on the homepage of my old site before I redesigned it a few times. It was actually telling the story of my father-in-law. Now he's my father-in-law at the time. He was like my girlfriend's dad and it was marketing his business. He had a fishing charter business and it was about, okay, we have to figure out Google ads. I don't know what Google ads is, AdWords at the time. I have to figure out what that is. How do I bid? How do I decide on it? And I learned more running $500 a month of Google ad spend for my father-in-law or future father-in-law than I did in 16 marketing classes that the college made me take. So that's how my brain works. I know everyone's a little bit different, but that's actually what I learned from that time period, 09 to 2013, basically. That's my take from my time in marketing as well. I, I think you get by, you learn by doing. I was poli-sci. The reason I asked is I had a similar mentality around writing. I felt like if I went into a major where I could write rather than take tests, then I could control that side of things. So I felt, hey, I'll just go into a, a major where they'll give me a writing assignment and then I can do it the night before and, and I don't have to worry about it. Uh, but I, I would agree with you. I think that from a marketing perspective, especially with online marketing, you need to go out there and you need to execute. You can't pick up uh, an ebook and figure out, hey, this is exactly what we want to do. You need to have that foundation so you understand what you need to do, but then you need to go out and actually execute on some of those steps to figure out some of the lessons that, that you're going to learn. But with that said, where do you think today's marketers should start? From the perspective of your book, if we think about what that goal was, what was the intention when you wrote it? Was to was it to find a foundation for people to start with? Was it focused on the vacation rental industry or where was the, the basis for writing the book? Uh, so what I ended up coming up with was, while I was outlining it was this idea of a horizontal focus and a vertical focus. And I know we talked about this a little bit before we hit record, but basically the way that I think about it is there's some foundational things that you need done at the most basic level to have some level of success in this business. And every once in a while, and we told a story where you can skip one of the earlier steps and still make your way pretty far up the mountain, but it's really hard to like 
if I do like a weightlifting analogy, it's really hard to have like really tiny weak calves and be able to deadlift a lot of weight. Like maybe you can train other muscle groups, but at some point you've got to go back and deal with the calves, right? That's what I think some people do in this business is they maybe get good at something or they're strong in one area. And then they accelerate that all the way to the top. Like they get really advanced at email marketing, for example, and then they don't even have a social media page or vice versa. We give an example of that before we hit record where they're killer on social media and they don't even bother to build an email list. So the way that I ended up putting the book together was this horizontal focus. I ended up doing the book talking about this idea of boxing weight classes. There's a featherweight, there's a lightweight, there's a heavyweight, there's a super heavyweight, because I feel like that's something we can all relate to, even if we're not really boxing fans. I'm not really a boxing fan, but at least it made sense to me. And then there's a vertical focus, which might be like SEO, paid search, email marketing, homeowner marketing, brand strategy, and so on. And in my estimation, the companies that do the best are the ones that level things up somewhat evenly. They don't get too far behind on one channel or one specific form of advertising or marketing or media. And they get pretty good at one and then they go on maybe and they get a little bit better at the next one. And then they level up their weaknesses and, and grow over time. Um, it's rare that I end up dealing with a an account or a client that we've worked with who's just doing a very bad job in one area and still seeing a lot of success because that leaves a lot of money on the table and a lot of revenue on the table. So once I started to book, put the book together, this was all like loose notes, outlines. It didn't really look like much. It all crystallized for me once I put together this idea of maybe if you're under 200K in bookings, we'll just go ahead and call you a featherweight. If you're between 200K and 500K in bookings, we'll call you a lightweight. And this was all just based on my personal intuition and feel. I didn't do as much like data analysis as, as I should have, but it was more just like, I feel like about this stage, you need to start to focus on this. And then I started to lay that out. And then at this stage, you probably need to focus on that. And then I laid that out. And that was how the book ended up coming together in that way. Yeah. So, so Conrad, I, I think it's the perfect analogy, right? When you get into the boxing stuff. And I think ego is going to tell most of us, we want to be super heavy, heavyweights, right? We're the best of the best, right? And, and we've got this huge A lot business. of people say that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. How about that? <laughs> but the reality is, and I think in this book, it's not, hey, I'm a super heavyweight flip to that page in the book, right? The reality is, Start back at the beginning, like you're a featherweight and look through and say, am I truly doing these and doing them to mastery? And then just keep working your way through. So as people approach this, Conrad, how, do, do they skinny everything down and pull it all the way back and say, okay, I'm starting back at featherweight? Is that the intent? I think it could be instructive. Yeah. And we have a note when we get into the meat of the book where we say skim, don't skip. So it's fine. I think to like skim through the section of, I know what a guest persona is. I did $10 million in bookings last year. I know who my ideal target guest is, but some people actually make it pretty far without thinking about that. So that's like the first top left corner of our strategy at the featherweight section is like, who's your ideal guest? Who are you actually trying to go after from a guest perspective? And the same logic in my mind, by the way, could be applied to a homeowner. What type of homeowner are you going after? Because that's the foundation of a vacational business. We've got homes that we manage on behalf of homeowners, and we're trying to put guests into those homes. And then we facilitate that transaction and take our piece out of the middle. And that's how we feed our family and build our business. So those like little cornerstones, some people have it down pat. They understand exactly what they're trying to do. Some people are pretty weak in that department, or they've just been like, I don't know, like anyone that'll book it. I think, how are we going to market to anyone that'll book it? Right. I like force the issue a little bit more. And then even people who are relatively far along in the revenue stack, they could be at a few million dollars a year in bookings. They've never actually sat down and really defined what the ideal target guest is. So that example, like being in the featherweight section, but something that I think is pretty foundational and elemental to the success of the business can sometimes be skipped. Or it's, I've told this kind of joke before, there's a reason I don't own any properties. And it's, I don't actually know who my ideal target guest would be myself. So I feel like I need to figure that out first before I even go to look for the type of property that I would purchase myself potentially in the future. So I think that can be an important question. 
And when I see the the shakiest businesses that I think we get involved with or we peek under the hood with, so to speak, it's companies that don't really know who they're after because they're so distracted. They've got four properties in this market. They've got three over here, two over here. They've got a home next to a $100,000 condo next to a $5 million home. Some are pet friendly, some aren't, and they just don't have any like thesis. They just, it's like they're rooting around and trying to find little listings and contracts on the ground. They're not really building the company from a position of here's what we are, here's what we stand for and that kind of thing. So that's an example from Featherweight that you could start all the way at the beginning on and some people make it pretty far without actually thinking about that actual process in my mind. Yeah, I, I think it's more than we would like to talk about, right? I think it's how many properties can you get to how fast, right? It, it is. And again, and I think with that comes revenue, right? And if you go back to our start just short of a year ago, right? It was, is some of the stuff even profitable, right? And I think during COVID, you didn't have to worry about what guests to look for. The guests were looking for you, right? And they were coming and they were ready, their wallets open, ready to go. So I, I think my challenge to, to to readers and to the industry is still take that step back. Conrad with us, when we were talking about Delmar, the one thing that you prompted over to me that has really stuck with me is the collection-based idea. Hey, You've got a great portfolio. We're going to build this very specific portfolio, but now you can even take it a little further and go to the collection base. So now you're taking something special and then even segmenting that a little bit deeper. So I think my urging, and Adam, I'll be interested on your perspective, is I do think it's time to step take a step all the way back and say, yeah, you were doing 10 million, but there's a good chance that if you got even more specific, you could probably take that 10 million and got 12. Yeah, I was going in a similar direction there as we talked over each other. But I, so my perspective, and I don't think the categorization is inaccurate. I think that from the book's perspective, those revenue numbers should put you in a different category of marketing. However, I would go back to Scott's point, and I would say that over the last few years, the revenue numbers have been a little bit higher than what your marketing might have warranted. So as a result, you might categorize yourself a little bit higher than what you might be based on what you you look at the book. But the reality is you haven't done the foundational needs. And for anybody who's relying on an OTA, I mean, that right there tells you that, hey, you haven't done the foundational needs. But what I would say, and Conrad's mentioned golf and the fact that he's you know swung 10,000 times in order to get the swing he, he has. Same thing when I'm I'm coaching my boys in soccer. It's when I'm telling them to practice or when I'm setting up a practice, it's around basics. And you do the basics for a reason, to, to Conrad's point. The good companies do the basics really well for very consistent over a long period of time. That's how you get really good. So when I think about the categorization and where the book should be started and how we should all be thinking about marketing as an industry, I think it's mandatory that we should start down at the bottom and you need to make sure that you're practicing the basics, that you've got those foundational needs. If you haven't done that yet, then it doesn't matter if you jump up to the top because you're gonna be leaving so much at the bottom. Now, what I would say to, to your final point there, Scott, is you might have been at 10 million in revenue and maybe you did leave a little on the table because you didn't do it. I would argue that going forward, you're going to work even harder to get to that 10 million. So it's even more important to get the basics and the foundation done now, because in order to keep the revenue up, we're going to need to do those basics. And not to throw a random stray, but I think the, the most egregious example of the revenue over brand operations people has to be the Airbnb arbitrage kind of audience or community. And there's not it's not full of bad operators. I think there's many bad operators in that space who love to talk about top line revenue and 
don't talk about like profit, for example, or like even gross profit per unit. So they'll say, I have 100 units back to your unit counting comment from a minute ago, Scott. And um, they do each one does $50,000 a year in revenue. So I run this massive business and stuff like that, neglecting the fact that they also pay out $450,000 per month in rent payments to do the arbitrage game. So I don't know, from the jump, that always seemed like a bad idea to me. And every once in a while, we get a lead from an arbitrage person. And I feel like we end up getting to a very stalemate status with them very quickly in marketing because I'm like, here's the things that I think would work well, or here's the pieces that make sense. And they basically come to the conclusion pretty quickly. Oh my gosh, I can't actually afford to do any marketing, both even if it's not even forget our fees for a second. Like I can't even, I don't even have enough margin built in my business to pay for Google advertising or even hire someone in-house and do it on my end. So I think the arbitrage business is like the most egregious example of this kind of phenomenon that we had over the past few years. And to your point, Scott, when things are going up, it's pretty easy. And you're just catching the you're catching a wave and you're getting your little cup and putting your filling up your cup with the water with the revenue that's flowing in. And then when the waves are going out, you're just like, where's all the bookings? And then you're left with these huge lease payments. And let's be honest, right? COVID killed several huge lease arbitrage type businesses that had a, a brand and had a front inside of them. And companies like Sonder and those types of companies had to go back on leases and they had lots of financial damage that's occurred from their you know, kind of financial positioning. And these are companies that actually did a good job building brand and they knew what they were going after. So those are the best examples and they didn't make it. The mom and pop so-called arbitrage operator, I feel is in the worst position of anyone in this business going forward. Conrad, do you have a, a sense of what percentage of an overall budget marketing should be allocated for? It's a good question. I think I, I've always thought about it a little bit more when like we get to that level of understanding costs and especially when it's a new expense, right? If they're replacing someone else with us, it's always like more of a value equation. Are we going to get more out of you? Are we going to get better results and so on? But for some people, it's a new expense. And that's a common question that they ask. In my head, 10 to 15% feels right. There's just as a gut reaction when I go look at a lot of clients' top line revenue and what they're getting versus what the actual gross revenues are generated from it. And that's on their commission. That's not on total gross you know, bookings. That's once we back out the 80% that goes to the owner. 20% of that, 10 to 15% of that 20% could potentially be a reasonable cost per acquisition number. That could change per market as Adam, right? There's property managers up in Breckenridge that get 50% commissions. There's property managers in the Outer Banks. I'm talking to one here after this that get 17% commissions right. and that's all they get. So that, that can be a wildly variable number. It's better to measure it off your gross revenue, not total gross booking revenue in my mind. But I will say this, Sometimes people ask that question and I go, okay, it might be reasonable for us to expect maybe a seven or eight to one return on our investment on a Google ads campaign. So we spend a thousand dollars. We should be getting at least eight, seven to $8,000 per month, let's say in gross booking revenue. And that kind of breaks you break even. That's not even really you making a profit, but it gets us going. We can then figure out more profitable campaigns and, and so on and so forth. But the problem with that is that sometimes we have to do a lot of things that kind of should have been already done on day one when we arrive. So there's often two or three months in some situations where we have to go do the basics back to Scott's point too. We have to go and do the basics and there's really no ROI in like us setting up StayFi, for example. We talked about this before we hit record. There's no ROI in us getting all the StayFi configuration done initially. There is once we're actually harvesting the emails, sending them out and we built this loop that's flowing and we're getting more revenue from it. But the first six weeks of StayFi, you make no money at all from StayFi, right? It's just an expense. It's not a... Uh, deposit. You're taking money out of your account marketing budget. You're not really putting any gross revenue back in the top of it. Now, a year from now, when we have 2000 emails and we send out an email and we get five bookings, it's very profitable at that point. But there's all this stuff that has to happen before then to get you to that level where what you're putting in and what you're getting out can be a little bit more predictable. I guess that's the piece that I would caution against. So I hopefully just don't get clipped there by a client that's like, you said I should only budget 10%. It's what's the actual revenue that we're generating today? What's our opportunity? If we did this, would we fill an additional occupancy? Are we trying to take away bookings from an OTA and give them to you directly? Do you see more value in that booking from like a cost perspective? Are you going to get more commissions? Are you going to change your fee structure and so on? There's a lot of layers to that. Just to go on that thread for a second too, a lot of clients will charge a guest fee 
um, on a direct booking that is comparable but less than what Airbnb might charge. So let's say they take the direct booking, they still might charge a $200, $300 guest fee. Airbnb might charge $500. So it's cheaper for the guests. They're paying a lesser rate on the property manager's website versus what they would pay on, let's say, Airbnb, for example. But they're using that two or $300 guest fee to kind of fund their marketing efforts in some respect. And they're not taking it out of that 20% commission. That's more operational expense and profit. We need profit at the end of the day and those sorts of equations. So it can be a lot very different from company to company. I talked to two companies in like adjacent markets recently, and they did their accounting and kind of their structures completely differently. And I'm like, it just goes to show you that there's a million ways to uh, skin the cat. But that was a very long answer to your question of Ted. So I want to make two points then. So I'll, I'll plug a Darm discussion that you and I will be presenting at Darm. And I think your point about uh, you, you've got to have revenue, right? And we're talking about fees and different ways that you can bring in this revenue. I would urge any listeners to go back and listen to the episode where we had Alex Danner on talking about the evolution of the new business model in vacation rentals. 100%, we've got to have revenue. We, we need to be able to keep the doors open. But I would argue that we need to find new revenue streams rather than continuing to figure out how do we layer on a fee that is just under what the OTAs are. Now, fees are, are worthwhile. I understand. We, we've got to figure out where fees make sense and where they don't. But what I would stress is that we need to start thinking about where marketing and sales come together. And then we need to figure out what are the additional revenue streams, then how can we facilitate sales to sell as a service and create these great guest experiences with the new revenue streams that we have. So I'll just put a plug there. Conrad and I will talk about that at Darm. So if you go into Darm, you can see that. But the other point I'll make going back to my question around percentage, it's an important concept, especially to, to your point about people who it's a new expense for them. Now, that's something that if you're building a business model, you by all means need to put in some marketing. And this goes back to that discussion around OTAs and people that have built their business around these OTAs. They're not factoring in marketing. They're not factoring in the cost of acquisition for those clients. And that's a very important cost when you start to understand that you need to be a, a freestanding business that has direct bookings, that controls their future. That's a cost that absolutely needs to be built in, which is why I was asking what that percentage is, because at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter what the ROI is. Of course it matters. And I want to go to the right channels and find the right places and, and have the right exercises but your business plan should have that percentage built into it. Because to Conrad's point, and I'm sure this is frustrating on your side from time to time, Conrad, marketing takes time. You don't just say, hey, my budget is 10,000. I'm going to plug it in. And all of a sudden, I'm going to get 20,000 back. You've got to build those foundational pieces so that then the marketing starts to come. You got the emails, you got the paid ads, you got your strategies down. That all comes with time. But SEO and marketing doesn't happen overnight. So that's why I do think that percentage question is important to have a basis of how you want to build your model. And then you go into strategy and how you want to actually spend what that, that percentage is. And SEO is the most extreme example of that, right, Adam? So if I go look back, I was looking at this client the other day who been we've been working with for almost three years now. And I would argue that his first 12 months of SEO payments, he just lost every dime of it in some respect from a month-to-month cash-on-cash return perspective, right? It was horrible. What is? How does he feel now that he ranks number one in his market? And when you search for this island plus vacation rentals, he's number one. And last month, I think he did $180,000 in organic search traffic bookings off that. His uh, $2,500 payment to us looks pretty reasonable at this point, doesn't it? Because um, you know now he's- But how was that first year? Was there stress yeah. going back and forth between you and that first year? 
No, because he knew the game he was playing. He's he's a rare one. Some people don't know the game they're playing. Some people do. And uh, luckily with this individual right. who was very behind the scenes, so I won't say the company or anything like that. He likes to keep it that way. He knew the game he was playing. But it can be awkward to be fair. And, and why not? And we try to be very clear with our communication. And here's what we expect when we're working with kind of that newbie. I'm like, you're a seed in the ground. You're comparing yourself to this mighty oak tree. Like it's going to take a long time to get there. It might take, in fact, it might never happen depending on what you're trying to accomplish. A lot of this is on you. Like in, I don't really talk about that in the book as much, but I feel like that could be a second book, which is is like mastering vacation rental business buildings. Like not my, I'm not the expert to talk about and everything, but I feel like I should get like Mike Harrington to co-author it with me or someone like that who built a great business, not just from a marketing perspective, but from operations, brand, all these other layers built into that. And one, one thing that you didn't touch on, Adam, that these great businesses have too, a lot of times is they have such high brand loyalty and they have such great repeat guest rates. And that's the trickiest thing about marketing. How do we value the guest that comes back into the website directly in books where we didn't pay a dime to Google? We didn't pay a dime to Facebook. We didn't pay a dime to an OTA to come back and stay with you again. How do we value that guest from a marketing perspective? In some way, we can't tie a specific cost of acquisition to them. Maybe we could say we're paying the website a certain fee every month. We're paying for some of these expenses, but you'd probably be paying them either way, right? Like whether you do or don't have the repeat guests coming in, you're still going to have a website. Most likely you're still going to have some of these hard expenses. So the truth is that those repeat guests that come back and book directly and don't shop and just book with you because they trust you, those are basically infinite ROI because you're paying essentially no marginal cost to acquire them. And yet they can add for some of our clients, it's 30, 40, 50% of their business. It's just the fact that people are coming back directly and booking. This happened during COVID. We, we had to shut down a lot of ads during locations or markets that were completely shut down for a while. One of our clients that we had to shut down completely ads for was still getting 10, 20, 30,000 visitors a month because people were desperate to get to their house and they wanted to go stay with this particular client. And we had no ads running, no Facebook, no PPC, no emails going out. So essentially everything was just frozen in place. And yet they had all this brand loyalty because why? They had 150 great cabins in a great market and they had an audience of people that knew who they were, who, who they were, excuse me, that trusted them, that liked them, that were coming back and saying, can I rent yet? Can I rent yet? The calendars were blocked off uh, for a while because of COVID restrictions. Then when everything lifted, we actually didn't turn on ads again right away. We just let the calendars open up and the bookings started coming in that same day, the next day. And then we turned the ads on and then it was, of course, gasoline on a fire, so to speak. But how do we measure that? It was a weird time, obviously, for a lot of reasons. But how can we measure that in the, the effectiveness of a brand? It's really hard, I think, to put that into a spreadsheet somewhere or to put that into a, any sort of equation. But the truth is, that's what you really want if you're a vacation rental brand is you want people who well, seek you I, out I specifically. What, go ahead. Yeah. And I, I would say another plug for another episode is go back and listen to the discussions that we had with Stowe. And one of the things mm -hmm. that, that Stowe talks about from a hotel perspective is the lifetime value of the client. Mm -hmm. And that is an area where I think we, we miss in this industry. We talk about the value of the agreement with the home, but we don't talk about the value, the lifetime value of, of that guest. And I think that's where we need, to, that's another opportunity, right? Because that's not only the loyalty side of things and trying to build loyalty programs and trying to bring them back. But Conrad, to your point, that also plays into the budget is what's the value if I put extra effort into these people who are staying with me, resources, funding, whatever it is, what's that ROI and how can I measure it? You might not be able to measure it, right? But you can figure out what each one of those guests, what the value is to your business over the lifetime. And then you can validate that spend towards those guests to bring them back. Because to your point, when you put an ad out on Google, you're going to know what directly what that ROI is. You're not going to be able to measure every ROI like that. So there are going to be some gray areas that we're going to have to figure out as an industry and as uh, individual managers, how do I measure this? I know it's the right thing, but where do I get some quantification to justify that? And I think lifetime of the guest is an area that we need to focus on.
And, and to play my hosting role again for a second, Scott, to go back your direction, so I can't yeah. help myself. I've said this before on shows that we've done together, which is that operations is great marketing too. So one thing that we've discussed before is if I go into Google, when a new client, potential client reaches out to us and I see they have horrible reviews, I'm automatically like, I'm halfway out the door already. I'm like, I don't know if I should work with you because you don't take care of the guests when they get there. Why do I want to be pushing a rock up the hill, so to speak? So I don't know, maybe Scott, you can talk about that or like your perspective on operations as it ties to everything we're talking about, marketing, LTV and so on. Yeah, it's funny. And in, in one of the things that I've thought about for years, and we started looking at this, but again, it just fell off. Now, now we're focused on it now, is I think if you're getting repeat business through the OTAs, I think it's a sign that you're not doing your part. So if Adam comes to Delaware every year and he always does it through an OTA, I got to look at that and say, he's not here for me. He's here because I happen to have what he wants. But at, at the end of the day, tomorrow, if that place goes next door, he'll go there, right? He's going to find that place and go there. So Adam's loyalty isn't to me, it's to the house or to the deal or to that location. So one of the things that we're really focused on is I'm all good. We're not going to wrestle the OTAs. We're not going to try to beat them out of the gate and have everyone book with us. But I do think it's our responsibility to get them on the second time, right? They should come back to us direct. And and I put that on strictly on the shoulders of operations, to your point, Conrad. Are you taking care of them when they're there? Are you getting good reviews from them? And Conrad, we've talked about this a hundred times over. Them having an issue doesn't mean, oh, chalk it up, we've lost them. When a guest has an issue, even after they've left, you can still hook them into you and know that they've got someone they can trust in you. And, and I think that's the ops side where the marketing piece comes in, right? And really start to look at it differently to say, what are we doing to drive people with loyalty to us? If, if we have five, four bedroom houses. If, why, if, if we lost the one that they stay at, why can't they land in one of our other four bedrooms that's comparable? And, and I really think that's the, where the ops side hits the road, Conrad. Take care of the guests when they're with you. Take care of them if they have an issue. Take care of them after they leave and, and make sure. And Amy Hynow said this in our, our episode, and it's really stuck with me. If they're in my radius, they better know my name. Yeah. And, and she's made that comparison to me before with respect to like doing brand advertising or just there's companies out in 30A that do this. They buy billboards in Atlanta, right? And it's like, why not? People in Atlanta are our biggest core demographic. So why wouldn't we buy a billboard in, in Atlanta to get them to come down to Destin? That makes complete sense. But the person who is in Hawaii, for example, I've given this example before, we have a client there for a long time, very low repeat booking rates, not because they do a bad job. In fact, they got excellent reviews, operationally solid, all those kind of pieces. You just don't go to Hawaii that often, right? People might go, it's a bucket list type trip, they go one time and they don't repeat as well. So you also have to know what game you're playing. And that goes back to like our short-term rental versus vacational debate we've had multiple times. And to be fair, I, I would argue the title was intentional, right? Mastering vacation rental marketing. A lot of these maybe pieces don't work quite as well if you're a transactional short-term rental provider in Austin, Texas, and people come in for a conference and they don't come back and they may not stay again. We often go to the VRMA. What's the VRMA next year at Scottsdale? I'll be honest, I'm never going to go to Scottsdale if it's not for VRMA. Like it's just not in my wheelhouse. So no matter who I book with, they could do a five-star above and beyond job. I may leave them a great review. I may say things, great things about them. I may recommend them, recommend them to others. So there's other marketing flywheels that I could be generating for them. There's almost a 0% chance my wife and I are going to get on a plane and go to the desert. It's just not our thing. We want to go to a beach when we go somewhere and it's not close to us. So you've got to know the game you're playing a little bit too. And that's maybe further work that I could do and more refinement or book too, which I'm not doing next year. We'll take a year off. Maybe I'll do it next year. I was going to interrupt you, Adam, when you were saying it earlier. Our next book is going to be Mastering Vacational Sales. You and I can write it together. You can be 
the uh, author and yeah, there you we go. figure out that we'll get Alex to contribute as well. But uh, yeah, I think let's, that let's um, wait a year. I, mean, I need another year too. Yeah, we need it. We need a break. I don't know if eight months is what nine months is when I want to go through again. But no, back to like your core point, Scott, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people think that marketing has the answer. And the truth is the marketing is oftentimes enhancing what you're already doing from an operational standpoint, from a property standpoint and so on. And look no further than these viral Airbnb accounts that have millions of followers for container shipping homes and they have cabins in the woods and they, they market everything off aesthetics and they market everything off of this interactive social content and they get all the bookings they want through Instagram and they don't even think about an OTA. And that's an extreme example, right? The track home, four bedroom track home in Orlando, Florida that we stayed in. What's well, bigger than that? The eight bedroom track home in Orlando, Florida we stayed in, had the game room, had all this stuff. And our host that I, that we booked with as a client would say the same thing. It's unique, but it's not that unique, right? A lot of other people have that same kind of aesthetic or have that same sort of amenities, I should say, excuse me. But an aesthetic could be something that people are drawn to on the vacational side that makes them pick that property over many other choices out there. The same thing applies, I think, if you have 25 of the same condo, then you have to know what game you're playing. And it's a little bit more of a volume game and a little bit less of a, I'm going to curate this amazing experience for the guests. That's always a little bit harder when you have a homogenous inventory, for sure. Yeah. And it's funny because Conrad, you point out that that marketing can complement operations, right? And operation, but marketing can also point out where there's disconnects in operations, right? That disparity can show through pretty, pretty loudly and pretty clearly. If marketing is saying one thing and ops is saying that path only runs so long before those wheels fall off. Yeah. And in the homeowner section, which is another vertical focus that we had in the book, there's some basic things. If you're trying to be a property manager, like we have that bottom right-hand corner about have a page that explains your services, have a landing page that explains, here's what you do. Here's why I'm different, that sort of thing. But one of the first things that we have in there is you need leads if you're doing homeowner marketing. And we give examples in there, recommendations about CRM platforms. We give recommendations on what sort of campaigns to run and those kind of different pieces. But ultimately, it's I think the hardest thing to do is stand out when you're small because you can't say that I'm the best because it's not a believable claim. We talked about that um, previously previously on a show that Paul and I did on our podcast, like people say these things, but if it's not believable, then the guest or the homeowner just rejects the notion that you're the best. If you're the best, why haven't I heard of you? If you're the best, why do you have three homes in Destin or Ocean City and not 500, right? It's hard to make that claim unless you can actually show some show off the expertise. So you've got to lean into something different early on in many cases. I'll be more responsive. I will maybe charge you a lower commission. I don't love that, but like it can be a hook that's at least a little bit more appealing. I will do this. I provide this guest experience. I provide concierge, whatever. There's so many layers there and it may depend on the host and the market and what makes the most sense, but it's a good example in my mind of it's hard to stand out and it's only it, it was only harder over the past few years to stand out, I think, in many respects on the homeowner side and I'll, to your point of the guest side, anything would book the last few years. Now we'll see. Now we'll see over the next few years where, where the, the cream separates itself. And I, I don't know. I think it'll be a good thing. I'm looking forward to it. So. Yeah. yeah, personally, I think it's a great thing for all the reasons that we talk about this stuff. I think that the best sort of coming to the top is what the industry needs. I think that in a lot of ways on the management side, on the inventory side, perhaps even on, on the guest side, we had a lot of people enter this industry that maybe it's not the right fit to be in this industry. To your point, Conrad, it's very difficult to start. A, this is hard. And we've talked about that numerous times, right? This is just a hard industry to be in. And unless you truly believe in it or you're truly passionate about it, why would you put the effort in to try to start a company with one, two, three homes unless you felt like it was really going to be worth that effort? Because the easy solution for anybody stepping into that world is I'm going to put it on Airbnb and I'm going to forget about it. And I think that's what ended up happening for the last few years. So I think that we're in a point where anyone who is serious about this, is passionate about it, wants to build it, is going to be at a place where they have to 
make some tough decisions, right? Where do I want to put my time and efforts to actually be successful in this? And if you're going to do it, then OTAs, to, to Scott's point, that can't be your focus. Yes, you can use them as a way to get that first guest in. But after that, you've got to have the rest of that foundation. Otherwise, you're not really building a business. You're just listing homes on an OTA and, and hoping for the best because they it's out of your control. You can't change that very much. You can change pictures, descriptions, make sure you're responsive, get some good reviews, but you can't really control getting the right guests, getting the right homeowners, knowing that persona. Conrad, I know we've only got maybe 10 minutes left. Maybe we spend the last 10 minutes thinking about what is that foundation for someone with three, or maybe it's someone with 300 that has gotten a little bit lazy over the last few years. Where should people be focusing on as we turn into 24? What is that foundation? We talked about these different kind of um, vertical focuses. Maybe I'll run through them really quickly. And this is what's in the book. There's a strategy component, which is, that's a whole, I don't know if we can do that one in 10 minutes. That might take 10 hours, but it's ultimately, what are you focused on? Who are you going after and why? So we talk about, there's some things in there taken from EOS and traction, that kind of concept in the lightweight and middleweight section, where we say, do you have a scorecard? Like, how are we measuring success? You'd be surprised how often I talk to clients and they just look at gross bookings. They don't even, or in fact, they can't even run a report for me that effectively. I ask people what percentage of your bookings are direct and they can't even answer the question. So knowing your numbers maybe is a, maybe a foundational element, Adam, that I would argue is important there. Branded website, what do you stand for? What are you putting out there in the world to market your properties? The website is the salesperson, right? We don't have so the I want to take one step yeah. back to slow you down for a second. So the first one you mentioned was PMS, right? It's actually the first thing, not in strategy, but it is the first thing in brand website, that first very initial tile block. Yes. So before you should think about a website, you've got to get to a place where you've got a PMS because in order Agreed. to take bookings, you've got to have a, a reservation, a booking engine behind that. So you've got to have a PMS through that website in order to take those reservations. So you've got to Absolutely. make, and, and there isn't, there isn't an easy decision here. I, there's no clear winner, but you've got to choose a PMS if you want to get to the website and you want to start taking direct bookings. And I actually didn't mention any specific PMS platforms in the book, not because I don't have certain pro favorites, so to speak. And I shouldn't speak on them too much because some of them are clients and things like that at this point. So I don't want to say something and then someone say, oh, you're only recommending that because of this reason. We put it like in a separate page. You go to the website because I'm like, ultimately, here's the truth. A PMS that I like today might go to crap. I hope that doesn't happen. But like it has happened before. It's not unprecedented that might happen. And ask clients that have swapped from another solution to a solution that maybe you helped sell them in the past, Adam. They hate their old solution. They go to their new solution. And maybe it's a lot better. Maybe it's a lot worse. Maybe it's the same. But yeah, choosing All a PMS I can say is, is I believed in it at the time. Okay, that's fair. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not trying to get you in trouble. But yeah, choosing a PMS is not a, always a simple yes or no type of checkbox type thing, right? It's not like actually right next to PMS platform is choosing a brand name. That's just as hard in many respects, right? How do you find a brand name that is what you stand for that's unique that you can find the .com domain name for? That can be a little bit of a challenge as well. We have the client that we've run into over the years and it's, yeah, I have a orlandovacationhome.net and I'm just like, that's not any good. You know, like, we'll have to do something a little bit better than that as we get, get going here. So those foundational pieces, website, PMS platform, picking a brand name sounds simple on the surface. And that could be 50 hours of work just to get those three things checked off, even for one property, right? So yeah. all right. is Seaside ahead. Vacations taken? Do we know? <laughs> I think it's taken only by maybe a few <laughs> dozen people. Yeah. And all the people that I know at various Seaside locations, Seaside Vacation locations, I think they all know each other, by the way, because like the one in Maine gets a call and he's, oh, no, you, I have one right down the street. You need the one in North Myrtle Beach, then there's one in the Outer Banks, and there's one in, I think, Ocean City. That, well. that so, was me back in the day when I started in 2008 at Seaside Vacations, and I was <laughs> calls from both Myrtle Beach as well as Maine. Yep. 
Nice, yeah. And, and just think that it only cracks the surface. I'm sure there's some West Coast seasides that we haven't even encountered yet or someone's going to start it. So, yeah, we can't do that one either, Scott. I hate to say. So beyond those basics, Conrad, what comes next? Yeah. Yeah. So going back there to those vertical focuses, there's the strategy. Who are you focused on and why? And why are you the right person to serve that audience, whether it's homeowner or guest or both, ultimately? Brand website, we talked about that. Website, PMS platform, brand name. The next thing I have, my own personal bias for search marketing, I, I lump in SEO and PPC together because in my mind, it's two sides of kind of the same coin, which is people going on Google primarily. Yes, there's other search engines, but Google is, of course, dominant. When they go to look, they have the highest oh, that, intent. That I think traffic. is an important pause, Conrad. And this is not to get into any details, but just for my understanding and for anyone who's listening. So when you think about starting SEO, you've already done, you got your website and you're going out there and creating the content. When you think about that, you're doing keyword research to figure out what you're going to start writing about and putting that content on. But we all know that's going to take time, as we talked about, one, to just create the content, but two, for Google to index it and start actually getting some results. So you you will run PPC at the same time in conjunction with that so you can see results quicker than just waiting for the SEO? Absolutely. And in fact, the first thing that we say, the first checkbox that you hit in Featherweight from a search marketing perspective is make sure that you rank for your brand name and that when people search for your brand name, you're found. This just happened on the call that I had before this one. I was searching for, in this case, it was the name of a property on a rental program, but I found two OTAs before I found my client's site. Granted, they're a new client. We've got some work to do there. They need more links. They need more pieces going in place. But I was explaining to the client, I was like, this is a perfect example of why we need to be focusing on even like this foundational layer one piece of SEO for you right now. Because when someone searches the name of your property, you're not ranking number one. So you're losing 20, 30% of your traffic to one of the big com booking.com OTAs. And then there was a regional OTA that they were had their properties on that people were going to as well. So imagine that, Adam. Imagine you did all the work from a branding and marketing perspective to get a, a potential guest to search for the name of your property, something very unique that no one else is using. And then they go on booking.com and make that booking. It's a lot of fumble at the goal line, right? My gosh. And I'm sure it happens over and over oh, again. That's one that you lose sight of. You don't think yeah. about, hey, I need... I I want to book on my, or I want to bid on my own term, but yeah, of course you got to do it. Yeah. And think of this example. And this was something that we've also talked about recently. If you don't have that unique of a, na- a brand name, if you are Outer Banks Vacation Rentals.com or something like that, when people search that, how do they know you're looking for your company versus the competition? So there's a whole nother layer to that. But let's just assume you have a brand name that's actually unique. No one else has the name Delmar, for example. Your partners, your OTA partners will bid on your brand name. So if you don't go do a search for Delmar, it's very feasible that Airbnb and Verbo and these other partners that you might potentially work with are bidding on that name because they determine people searching that are likely to make a reservation. They're looking to actually book and uh, book a property. And then your OTAs literally steal traffic out from underneath you. It's not as egregious in the vacation rental industry as it is in the hotel and resort industry where we have some clients there as well. But it's horrible in the hotel and resort industry. Every There's 30 different people bidding on your brand name if it's the name of a specific Sanderling resort in the Outer Banks, right? 30 different websites bidding on that keyword trying to take that traffic away from you, your brand, your own brand, and steal that booking and take their 20, 30% commission um, on top of the commission that you have to then take out it from there. So the brand name, it's like people sometimes dismiss it. There's people in our industry that will dismiss the brand name stuff and say those conversions don't count. It's not true. Those conversions are some of the most valuable and it's easy to set it up too. That's the thing. It's 10 minutes to set up. Some of these branded campaigns spend $100 a month and they produce $10,000 in gross bookings because it's, let's not fumble. Again, let's not fumble the ball at the goal line. Let's get it all the way through when they're searching for the brand. Yeah. Talk about basics. All right. So what else you got, Connor? We got two minutes left. What what else do we got for strategies. 
You touched on it earlier, but I think the, your first piece of content marketing is your property description. So before you get into blogging, you maybe even skipped ahead a moment ago, Adam, when you were talking about get a blog going and get that stuff going. Yes, but I actually put that one tier ahead. Your first piece of content, in my mind, is your property description. Your second piece is your guidebook. So mastering those two things initially even, I think is valuable expertise to have. And again, going back to our earlier commentary, if you're a large property manager, the property description is assigned to the random reservationist intern that they oh, I don't want to write up this property description. I've already written up 200 of these. So it's sometimes funny, these large property management companies blow it on descriptions. They write horrible descriptions or they don't read well, or they don't talk about the benefits of booking with a property manager directly or whatever the case may be. I've seen all sorts of mistakes in the property description world, but the guest, yes, pictures matter. Of course, number one, pictures. If I could only choose one on a page, I'm going to choose great pictures over a great description. But the serious guest goes to the description and reads it to determine that one little thing they need to know before they make that reservation. Hey, is there is it handicap accessible? Does it have a grill? I didn't see one in the pictures. All those little things on the property description are oftentimes skipped. That's your, actually your first piece of content and then a guidebook. So going back to the taking care of the guest commentary from earlier, you've got to have the guidebook in place so you can take care of the guest when they get there. Again, I would do the guidebook and the property description at a high level before I ever started a blog if I was recommending someone who was brand new. And I would go back and master those if I was a large property manager who had 300 units. And, and we didn't dig things. into it deep. We didn't dig into it deep, but the keyword research is going to be absolutely crucial when you're writing any of that, whether it's a, a blog post, property description, whatever it is, you need to be choosing the right words. Yeah, no doubt. And I think it's also what is your, like, how do you describe certain things in the property? If the property has, and not every property is perfect, by the way. One thing in your property description that we always believe is the other things to note section is what Airbnb calls it. I've always been like the, that's the truth telling section. Yo, this property is near the railroad. This property was uh, next to this thing, this property. I think you have to set the right guest expectations as well. I think the worst thing to do is to lie. And we have a client who's um, taken photos very creatively in the past to crop out the cabins that are right next to his cabin. And I'm like, bring that photographer back 10 feet and be honest, the fact that there's a cabin on the left and there's a cabin on the right, because we ended up getting all these negative reviews from it. So yeah, it's your tell, it's your chance to tell the truth as well in the property description, for sure. You mentioned guest guide or, or guidebook. Is that, mm -hmm. how do you think of that? Is that a third party or is that something that everyone should be building into their website? Yeah, I have my own biases here. So Touch Day is the bias that I have because I've worked with them for some time. But that's a great solution. You don't have to use that solution. We have clients that don't do the guidebook through a platform like Touch Day or Hostfully or something like that. I know there's a lot of systems out there. I don't want to leave anyone out. I just haven't used a ton of them. The one That's the one I typically use the most. But in my mind, the format isn't the end of the world. I think certainly these technology platforms have some benefits and some nice characteristics, but it doesn't have to be that way. So in my mind, it's like, can the guest access it on their phone? Can they get to that information quickly? If so, you're already on the right track if that information is solid. Yeah. The reason I ask is that my guess is that there are a lot of people who are missing that. If if you view that yeah. as a foundation piece, my guess is a lot of people are, are missing that guest guide today. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. I know our time here, Adam, and I might have to hop out as well. Speaking of all these clients that we write these books for, so I'll get, I, we didn't get to everything, but hopefully we uh, covered good chunks of it, at least. The one thing we didn't get to, and, and the ops guy will handle it, is reviews, right? We all need reviews to tie into this. <laughs> so this week, how about this? Instead of leaving Art of Hospitality a review, why don't we go pick up Conrad's book and leave Conrad a review? Su super important, right? And, and again, I, th I think everyone can take huge value from Conrad's book. And in, in Darm, right? If, if you missed him at uh, Verma, it was a more than packed room with a lot to learn. And, and again, I think the where Conrad goes and, and the book does it well is go back to the beginning and, and start fresh, right? Start back at the beginning and really layer in the, the key elements and, and build from there. Conrad, one last thing. You're going to drop the link to the note, the book in the notes. Will and then I've heard something about a secret chapter. So how do we get the secret chapter? 
but there's a free bonus chapter. There's not a secret chapter to my knowledge, right. at least one that I haven't checked out yet. But if you're not convinced of the book yet, go to buildupbookings.com. There'll be a little banner that'll come up if you want a free chapter. So if you want to taste before you buy, I can All offer right. that to anyone or email me, conrad at buildupbookings.com. Or you can go to Amazon to your point. I'll put a link in the show notes um, and you can buy it. It's only 15 bucks and there's lots of knowledge in there, far worth the $15 cost, in my opinion. So there we go. Price of admission. Yes, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Conrad, great to have you back with us. Looking forward to switching seats next week. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. Thank you all. I appreciate all right, this. Thank thanks. you. Thanks, guys.